Hello and welcome. You've tuned into the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. He has years of experience as a pastor, seminary instructor, and more. Later, you will be given information how to reach us. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. If you have your Bibles, going to begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3 through verse 8. This is the resurrection chapter. As Paul was writing to that church at Corinth, many of them had a wrong idea of the resurrection. And so we're going to be talking about that in many different aspects today. But I want us to see why does the resurrection affect us? What purpose does it have in our lives? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He arose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Right there, that is the Gospel. That's the good news. That's what gospel is. That Christ came into this world, that He died according to the Scriptures for our sins, and was raised the third day, and of course that He ascended on high. Now look in verse 5. It says, And that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. It's interesting that Paul puts himself last. What effect, what impact does the resurrection have in your life? There are those that may doubt, and you can go back and look at some of our past messages. We talked about the in our Reasons to Believe series, we talked about the resurrection. If you want to know, why should I believe the resurrection? But I think that in this United States that most people believe that Jesus rose. But we've got to ask, what does that mean? What does it mean that He arose from the dead. What does it mean to me? What are the results? What is the reason that he rose from the dead? What was his intention? What was his purpose? What did it accomplish? Because Paul says, last of all, think of that. Paul considered himself least. He considered himself still a valid witness. And we see that in all of those 500 seen at once, it wasn't an hallucination. It was nothing except seeing the real God. Why is there no power in Christianity today? Why is it today that we just seem like we're not seeing some of those things that we read about in the first century, that century of the biblical times of Christ? 
Why did he rise? And I think those questions go hand in hand. Because he was raised for our accomplishment. He was raised that we might do something. That we might be effective. And we're going to look at that. We're going to see why that is from a biblical point. But sometimes we are not effective as a Christian because of what we allow into our lives. Sometimes said that unsound books, strange cults, there may be some truth to that. But would you say, well, this milk has some arsenic in it, but it's mainly milk. So go ahead, drink it. I can remember as a kid in our boyhood home, we had a cuckoo clock that had come from our great-grandfather brought over from Germany. It stopped running, and it was some years before Dad could find someone who could work on this old, old cuckoo clock. But let me tell you that twice a day, it was right in its time. Well, that's what happens when we're just filling ourselves with all kinds of things from this world. There might be some truth to it, but it's like that cuckoo clock. You might be right twice a day, but it's wrong the most of it. We allow all kinds of poison to pollute our minds, our imaginations. Whether it's coming from movies or books, online, wherever it might be music and what have you, it moves us away from the heart of God. And that's what the resurrection is to bring us back to that place. Sin always separates and we've got to do something about it. Because God's Word is right all the time. We had an old instructor down in the seminary, old Dr. Farrar, and he used to say, gentlemen, it was Adam's sin that split the Godhead. And I've pondered that for many years. I've thought of all the ramifications. But I believe that he was really right. What significance is there in the resurrection in relation to the Father? I want us to think about in a greater sense. I want us now to, to kind of open our minds and think, how did Jesus view the resurrection in relation to His Father? Because the resurrection doesn't just have implications for us, but it has the implication for the triune God. First of all, Jesus arose in relation to the Father. In John 17, 11 through 13, there are two statements that I really want us to think about. Jesus is anticipating that His work on earth is almost done. And only one thing remains, and that's the death and resurrection. And it'll be over. And He'll go back to the Father. He'll go back to where He was before. This humiliation will come to an end in His life. And in anticipation, in verse 11, He says, as Jesus speaking to the Father, and this is a high priestly prayer, He says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Jesus was looking at the resurrection as the avenue back to the Father, back to God. And that's why he says in verse 13, And now I come to you. But those two times in that high priestly prayer to the Father, he says, Father, I see the cross, I see the resurrection, and I realize that I am near the end. You see, 
The resurrection had implications in relation to the Father. Jesus was coming home. He was going back. So why is that significant? Why should we be concerned about that? Well, number one, he was returning to the Father's fellowship. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Greek text of that, it says it in this sense, and the Word was face to face with God. Beautiful idea. I want you to consider that. The Word was face to face with God. There was a an equivalence. There was a union. There was an interchange in this Trinitarian fellowship. To our minds, inconceivable. There was a face-to-face relationship and Jesus was going back to that. That's why the Apostle Paul discusses in these words, Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not something to hold on to. In other words, He was God But he took on flesh. And Philippians chapter 2 says that he was to be equal with God or held not that equivalency but held on to that relationship, that face-to-face relationship. And the scripture says, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. And being found as fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Here Jesus in his face-to-face relationship with the Father. An intimate fellowship. But he thought it not something that he had to hold on to. But he gave it up so that he could take on the form of a servant. And come into this world to die in humiliation and pain. And bear the sins of the whole world in his body. That was a big step for God. The second person of the Trinity to leave the Father's fellowship, to take a role of a servant. Think of it night after night when Jerusalem would all go to their homes and all of the people there or wherever he was in whatever city. But while he was in Jerusalem, it records that Jesus would go to the Mount of Olives for he had no home. And somewhere among the olive trees he would rest He would sleep, but he would talk with the Father. He would have interchange and prayer. And it's inconceivable the communication and fellowship between God the Son and God the Father. There was a longing in his heart to be restored to the fellowship that he had once known. And when he came to the cross and was hanging on that cross, he felt... The Father God had turned away from him. In fact, he cries out in desperation. It gives us the understanding of that ultimate place in the incarnation of Christ. As he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, the fellowship at that point was separated. The Father could not look on sin, could not see sin. And Christ had taken our sin. Jesus had taken our sin upon him and he became that Lamb of God. Hi, let me interrupt for just a moment and update you with some information. You can now contact us at schoolofministryresources.org or biblelandmarks.com. We also now live stream services on landmarkstockton, all one word, dot com or You can see us on Facebook at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church of Stockton. 
We look forward to hearing from you. We would love to send you information. So thank you and back to our podcast. In John 14, 28, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's telling them that he's about to leave. And they're so broken, they're so filled with their own sorrow and more moaning and weeping. It's too painful to think about. And so in their hearts, they're troubled and they're sad. And that's why he says, let not your heart be troubled. But in verse 28, he says in John 14, You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and I will come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto the Father. What's Jesus telling them there? He's saying, because I said I'm going to the Father and I'm going to be back side by side to the Father and I'm not going to be here but I'll be, you should be happy for me because my humiliation is over. But the selfish disciples could only think what it meant not to have Christ. They couldn't think what it meant for Him to go back. For His humiliation had been bitter. Think of it. The humiliation was undeserved. It had been hard. It had been a long time. It had been 30 years, 33 years. And he was so totally engrossed in his mission. But now he was anticipating going back and having fellowship with the Father. But he's telling them, if only you could see it from my side. If only you could see what was really happening. And then John 14, 7, our Lord here says to his Father in that beautiful prayer, anticipating his return to the Father after his resurrection, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self and with the glory which I had with thee before the world began. You see, he's coming back to -to face-to-face glory. Jesus doesn't ask for more glory than he had before. Because it couldn't be more glorious. But he says, restore to me that what I I had before. In his heart, there was perfect obedience. And as he sensed the obedience coming to a climax in the cross and in the resurrection, he could feel the fellowship and the Father pulling to his heart. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ had meaning in relationship to his Father because... He could return to the Father's fellowship. Let me say this. No resurrection, no return. No return to the Father. Jesus would never have fellowship again with God. And this world would come to an end and die. Fellowship would be ended forever. There was no resurrection. All of the hopes, all of the prayers were for nothing. In relation to the Father's fellowship... There is also the Father's exaltation because that's what he's saying in verse 5 of John 17. Glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world began. Going back to that time with the disciples in John 14, he says, If you looked at it from my side, you would rejoice because I go to my Father. For my Father is greater than I. Don't don't you realize this exaltation? Don't you realize the greater essence? Don't you see the great assignment that's been on on Christ? And at that moment, the Father sits in greater glory than the humiliated Son. But I'm going back 
to that equivalent greatness. You ought to rejoice. He saw not only the Father's fellowship, but the Father's exaltation. Because the Apostle Paul picked up on that, as he says in Philippians chapter 2, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, also highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. He wanted the resurrection for the sake, for to return to the Father's fellowship, but for the sake of the Father's exaltation. And God is highly exalted in Him and given Him a name which is above every name. And the Father is exalted. Jesus had come all the way to the depths of humiliation. I don't think we can really truly understand. For He says... His life gave him no shelter. He had no place to lay his head. The foxes have holes, Christ said. The birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has not anywhere to lay his head. He took the abuse, the hatred, the jeers, the slurs of evil men. He was mocked. He was cursed. He was spit upon. And finally, he was crucified. And now, by the way, he drank that cup willingly but now as he begins to see this old garb of this lowliness falling off of him he begins to sense the glory that's going to be his in anticipation he cries out to be glorified in that way with the father and the resurrection was important to him in relation to the father because it meant the father's fellowship and it meant the father's exaltation and it meant that it verified God's every word. That's important for we know today why these things are so. We know them today because Christ shows us through His word how these things are true. You know that Christ wants to hold up the Father. The Bible teaches us the Spirit wants to point us to Christ and that Jesus always shows the Father. Jesus wants to put God on display, and that's why He came. You know, there are many prophecies, and I'll just talk about a couple of them. But in, in Psalm chapter 2, and verse 7, it says, I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day have I begotten thee. You see, the Father made a prophecy about the Son, this day I have begotten thee. Now that's not just a prophecy of the virgin birth of the Son. It's a prophecy of the resurrection. And you might say, how so? How do you know it's about the resurrection? I know it because in Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul in his sermon says, And we declare unto you glad tidings, how the promise which was made to the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto their children in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. You see, Jesus was fulfilling the very prophecy, these resurrection prophecies, that he rose from the dead and it was verifying God's word, verifying the word of the promise. If there is no resurrection, you cannot trust God's word. That's my point. In Psalm 16, 9 and 10, God's Holy Spirit through David talks about this Messiah. Thou wilt not leave my soul in Sheol, 
your version may say, hell, thou wilt not leave my soul in Sheol, neither wilt thou permit thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life. My flesh shall rest in hope. There's a prophecy of the resurrection. The flesh was going to go through its path of life, but this is a prophecy because again, in Acts 13, Paul preaching, he says, Wherefore, he also says in another psalm, Thou shalt not allow thine Holy One to see corruption. The early preachers got the message. God had promised, He had predicted in these psalms, and I can talk about more and more. Psalm 110.1, The Lord said unto my Lord, here we've got that intercommunication of the Trinitarian conversation. The Lord, the Father, said unto my Lord, the Son, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. Who were his enemies? Wasn't those that had nailed him to a cross? Had sent him to his death? Had scourged him? But the resurrection showed that he had overcome all of those things. For as David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith to himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. That's what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 on that day of Pentecost. He's saying this is a resurrection prophecy. We can talk about Isaiah 55. We can talk about so many other scriptures. But I think it's also important for us to, re to realize the resurrection had significance in the coming of the Holy Spirit. On that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 32, it says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being at the right hand of God, exalted and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, hath shed forth this, which you now see and hear. You see, the people in Jerusalem were seeing and hearing, and, and there were people of many, many different languages, and someone could come up and preach to them and talk to them in their own language, and they, they heard it and understood. And they wondered, what was this great phenomenon that was going on? It was the coming of the Holy Spirit. It had come as a, like a mighty rushing wind would come on. And the languages were spoken and they saw and they understood the arrival of the Spirit. This happened because God raised Jesus and Jesus had promised that He would send the Spirit. So you see, it's essential that Jesus comes out of the grave in order that He would send the Spirit. So the resurrection has implication in relation to the Spirit. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the message. If you want to hear Paul in person and are in the Stockton, California area, we invite you to join us at Landmark Missionary Baptist Church, 301 East Alpine Avenue. That's near the University of the Pacific. He brings the Bible message every Sunday at 11 a.m. and other times as listed. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions on this or other topics, please see our contact information in the description or email us at sclministry.com. We look forward to hearing from you.